Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on February 28th, 2021 on the basis of Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 17. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This picture first appeared in a German magazine back in 1982. What do you see? This picture has sparked heated, friendly debates among people for many years because some people see a duck, others see a rabbit. Now, maybe you saw both of them. Maybe you've seen this picture before. Uh, But until I I suggested that there was both a duck and a rabbit in this picture, you maybe just saw one of them. And that's kind of the point. You initially just see one of them, but but until another one is introduced, then you get the the full picture. Now, people have used this picture to to make a lot of different points, and they've actually done studies on what it means if you saw the duck instead of the rabbit, and what it means if you saw the rabbit instead of the duck. Um, but but all, all I want to say about it this morning is, is sometimes this is the way perception works, right? The things that you perceive and experience with your, your five senses might be incomplete or inaccurate. Your perception does not always tell the whole story. That's just a general truth in life. Where where you have a truth that you know is true, 100%, you know it's true, yet the things that you perceive in your life don't seem to to prove that truth. And so there comes a time when you have have to question that. Is that truth true if my perception is telling me all of the other things to the the contrary point? That's That's what Jacob was thinking in, his, in this story this morning. God's promises did not seem to be lining up in Jacob's life. From what he could perceive, God's promises may not have been true. And a lot of times, that's the same truth for us. Sometimes what we perceive in life does not match up with, with God's promises. And so what do you do when, when that's the case? We're going to look at the story of Jacob to talk about that a little bit this morning. But before we get into Jacob, since this is Genesis 28, we're right in the beginning of the Bible. And so let's review a little Bible history for us. Genesis 1, it's a pretty easy start, right? The universe is created. God creates the world in six days and rests on the seventh. Man and woman are created. And it's not too long, Genesis 3, when the fall is recorded. Adam and Eve fall into sin and the world is forever different. We never knew what perfect is like and we won't know that until we go to heaven to be with Jesus. But Adam and Eve knew and they lost that. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, the first atrocious act of sin here. They have more children after that and they begin to populate the earth and the earth becomes increasingly wicked. 
And God destroys the earth in a flood, but he saves, you remember, Noah and his family by having Noah build an an ark. Noah and his family begin to repopulate the earth, but instead of spreading out on the earth like God had, had told them to, he told them to fill the earth and subdue it, instead of doing that, they all stayed in one place and they decided they were going to build this tower to heaven, the Tower of Babel. Well, God confused their plans, he confused their languages, and that's why we have multiple languages today. And they were forced to spread out just as God had initially commanded them. That all happens in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And then we meet Abraham. Abraham is called from a distant land of Ur to inherit the promised land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. God gave him several promises. He said, this land will be yours in in Canaan. He said that you will have a a great nation come from your descendants. And he said that all nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Abraham had his son, Isaac, with his wife, Sarah. And then Isaac finds his wife, Rebekah, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And that's where we pick up with our reading for today. If you go to the next slide, Scott, the the reading will be on there. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its tops reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is God's word. How did Jacob get here? How did Jacob get to the place where he's in the middle of nowhere and he's using a stone as his pillow. Well, let's, let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the delivery room when Jacob was, was born, because it's kind of an interesting story. Jacob had one brother, Esau. We, we already mentioned that, but this happened to be his, his twin brother. It, it says in that account that they were jostling in the womb together, so there was already a little bit of a sibling, rival, sibling rivalry in the womb. Uh, Well, Esau was just a a couple minutes older, maybe even just a couple seconds older, because the account says that when Jacob and Esau were born, Esau came out first, but Jacob came out holding Esau's ankle, (laughs) holding his heel. That's why Jacob is called what he is, because the name Jacob literally means heel grabber. (laughs) And now this normally would just be maybe just a fun story to relive and to tell at family gatherings, but there. There's actually cultural significance to this. There's a reason why God includes that in Scripture here. Because the firstborn mattered. 
The firstborn had certain rights and privileges that the, the other children after that did not have. And so in the race to be the firstborn, Esau won and J- Jacob was just the heel grabber. So this meant that Esau would receive two-thirds of his father's inheritance and Jacob would only receive one-third. This means that, that Esau would have the, the benefit of the birthright, the honor that came with the birthright, the responsibility that came with the birthright, and, and Jacob wouldn't. Culturally, this mattered, that Esau was the firstborn. That's just how it worked. But God had different plans. He had different plans for, for Jacob and Esau. And so he came to Rebekah when Rebekah was pregnant with the twins, and God said this to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So, so God said it. Esau would serve Jacob. The older would serve the younger. This was different than the way it normally worked. But Jacob was to receive the birthright. Well, some time passed, and it came time for Isaac to give the birthright. But Isaac was going to give the birthright to Esau. Esau was the oldest. Esau also happened to be uh, Isaac's favorite. But Rebekah remembered what God had said, and she was not going to let this happen. God said Jacob was going to get the birthright. God said that, that Jacob would be the master over Esau and that Esau would serve Jacob. And so she took control. She took things into her own hands and she conspired with Jacob to trick Isaac. And they succeeded. Isaac, in his old age, gave the, the birthright to Jacob because Jacob tricked him. And when Esau found out, you can bet, he was pretty upset. We had mentioned that even in the womb there was this sibling rivalry, but it seemed like they had a rivalry even outside of the womb. All through their life, they, they battled back and forth together. And now this has just set them over the edge. This has just pushed it one too far. And now Esau wants to kill Jacob. Not in the sense that the kids normally say that to their siblings, right? I'm going to kill you. He actually means it. He's so serious, and Jacob knows that he's so serious, that Jacob is forced to flee. And that's where we find Jacob today. He was forced to flee the danger of his own home. Here he received the blessing and the birthright, yet now he's in the middle of nowhere with nothing by himself. He doesn't get to to enjoy the benefit of having the birthright, but guess who gets to enjoy that benefit? Esau. Esau is at home with all the inheritance, with all the possessions, with all the, the honor there. And Jacob is forced to flee by himself. So how did Jacob get here? Didn't God promise that Jacob would receive the, the birthrights and the blessing? Didn't God promise that Esau would, would serve Jacob? It seemed like what was happening was matching up with God's promise. Jacob may have believed with all of his heart that that God's promises were true, but his perception of what was going on didn't match that at all. Was God's promises true? Is God really as powerful as he he says he is? A a couple years ago, I was at a a Super Bowl party, and it was, we were kind of in that 
mode before the game where you're kind of talking over the, the teams and you're, you're making your predictions on how you think the game's going to go. You're watching the, the famous commercials from the, the past years. Um, and, and it was at this particular Super Bowl party, it seemed like it was pretty split. About half the room was rooting for one team, half the room was rooting for another team, and they were kind of, we were kind of arguing back and forth about it. But by far the greatest prediction came from a, a six-year-old girl. When asked who she was rooting for, she very quickly responded, whatever team's winning. <laughs> it was a foolproof plan, right? She's never going to be disappointed because whatever team's winning, she's going to be happy, right? So we decided we should probably talk to her about what it means to be a fair weather fan. We taught her the, the definition of fair weather fan, that it's easy to, to root for a team when they're, they're doing really well. It's a little harder to root for a team when, when they're not doing so well, but you, you kind of show your true loyalty to a team even if they're, they're not good by rooting for them. As humorous as that was, and as, as maybe frustrating to you as being a fair-weather fan is in, in the realm of sports, sports is not the only place we find fair-weather fans. Spiritually speaking, we, we can kind of be fair-weather fans too. Because it's pretty easy to make certain assertions about God when things are going pretty well. When you're healthy and your family's healthy and you all seem pretty happy, it is so easy to say and believe God is good. God is good all the time, right? It is so easy to say and believe in those moments that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When everything is, is going according to your plan, and nothing unpredictable comes up, but, but all seems fairly predictable, everything that you want has happened, it is really easy to say and to believe, God is certainly in control. He is. When you're in an emotionally stable place, it's pretty easy to, to say and believe, God is certainly with me. It becomes an altogether harder thing when life is not so good. In fact, those assertions become hard to muster at all. When you're worn out, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, it's a little bit harder to say and to believe that God is good and that he's working for the good of those who love him. When things in life get a little chaotic, when they don't go according to plan, when unexpected things come out of nowhere and you have a hard time adjusting, it's a little harder to say and believe that God is in control. When you're not in an emotionally good place, when you're in a low, when you're, you're in a valley, it's pretty hard to say and believe that God is with me. But where is God in cancer, COVID, and car accidents? Where is God in loneliness, depression, and anxiety? These are all questions that, that Christians have and wrestle with. And if you haven't wrestled with it yet, you will. Multiple times in your life, you'll feel like you need to reconcile two truths, two thoughts. Number one, God is in control. We know that. But number two, there is suffering in this world. People tie themselves in all kinds of knots trying to reconcile these two thoughts. What is the interplay between God and suffering? I know God's promises, but when God's promises don't seem to match what I perceive in this world, are God's promises true? 
does God actually exist? Does God actually care? Jacob was in that spot. He's in that spot here as he's in the middle of nowhere laying his head down on a stone to, to sleep. He didn't picture himself when God said he would have the birthright. He didn't picture himself in this position. He didn't picture himself having to flee to Haran to live with his, his relatives. His perception of what was going on did not match the, the promises of God. But God knew that. And so God came to Jacob in his weakness. He knew that, that this might be a moment in Jacob's life where doubt might start to creep in, where the devil's temptations might seem more alluring. And so he came to strengthen Jacob. And so as Jacob lays down to, to sleep with the rock as a pillow, God sends him a dream. And he sees the stairway that reaches from the earth all the way up to heaven. And on this stairway, there are angels that are going up and down on this stairway. And above the stairway, he sees the Lord. Now, now if that vision wasn't enough to strengthen him, because it, it likely was, God gives him a promise. Now, this is a renewed promise. Jacob maybe hasn't heard this promise word for word from the mouth of, of God, but this was a promise that was passed down through the birthright. This was a promise that was almost given word for word to Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation, that he would be with him, that, that all nations would be blessed through him. And now he renews his promise to Jacob that even though he was perceiving that God wasn't keeping his promise, that God's promise was sure, and that God was going to keep his promise. And so let me read again what, what he said to Jacob, because this is his renewal of his promise. I am the Lord. And the word for Lord here is the covenant God. There's a specific word when you see the, the word Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament. That is the word for the covenant God. It's supposed to remind people that he is true to his promises. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You maybe remember, Abraham was promised that, that his, his descendants would be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Well, now he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And they will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Just like God deals with Jacob in his weakness, he deals with you and I in our weakness too. Because he knows that there are plenty of times in life where, where we know his promise, but our perception of what is going on in life doesn't seem to match that promise. Where, where maybe it even seems like the opposite is happening. God knows that about your life. And he knows that you need to be strengthened. And so he comes to you in his word. He comes to you in his word and he strengthens you and he renews his promises to you and he reminds you that he's working for your good. For your eternal good. That he's conforming you to the image of his son. He reminds you that, that he is in control of everything that is going on. Just read through scripture. He makes nations rise and fall. He, he controls the world on a grand scale and individually in your life too. And he loves you. He reminds you that he is with you wherever you go. 
There are countless other promises that we find in the Word, and He comes to you in His Word and renews His promises with you because He knows you need to be strengthened. He also comes to you in the sacrament because He knows that there's times in life when you don't feel like you're forgiven, when you wonder if you're forgiven. He knows there's times when you think about the fact that one day you're going to (laughs) die, that that can be a scary thought for you. And so he wants you to know that you're forgiven and that heaven is yours. And he wants you to know that so badly that he gives you this sacrament so that you can taste forgiveness, so that you can taste heaven on your tongue in bread and wine, body and blood. He comes to you and reminds you in your weakness because he knows that you need it. Because sometimes what you perceive does not match up with God's promises. Now, with Jacob, it's a little easier for us. Because we know the end of Jacob's story. We know how things turn out. We have the benefit of hindsight, right? So we know that, that Jacob is going to go to, to Haran, but we know that he's going to start his family there. We know that eventually he's going to have 12 sons. We know that, that eventually he's going to move back to the land that God had promised him, and that he's going to reconcile with Esau, his brother. We know that from those 12 sons, the nation of Israel will have begun. And we know that that those 12 sons will be the the fathers of many people one day. That 400 years after Jacob dies, the number of descendants of Jacob would number over a million people. And even further down the road, we know that every nation will be blessed through Jacob because through Jacob's line comes Jesus. (laughs) We know all of that because we have the benefit of hindsight. But here's the cool thing about God's promises. It's as if you have hindsight. It's as if you already know what's going to happen. Because God's promises are so sure and so true and so certain that when he makes a promise to you, you can consider it already done. When he says you are forgiven, you are forgiven now and into eternity. When he says heaven is yours, there's already a placard with your name on it uh, on a room in heaven. He's gone there to prepare a, a place for you. God's promises are so sure and so true that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you perceive, even if it's the exact opposite of what you think, that God's promises will always be true and they're always true in your life. There's going to be times when your perception does not match God's promises. But trust God's promises because those are always true in your life. And he comes to you and strengthens you because he knows that the perception of the promise is important. Trust him. Amen.